Dennis Stewart joining us. And what's on the agenda today, Dennis? Well, Chandler, I thought what we'd do today is look at the relationship of food and diet to certain diseases. We've been emphasising for the last couple of weeks the role of complementary medicine, but let's look at the way in which food itself can be used as a medicine. And we're looking forward to your questions. Anything you'd like to raise about your feeling good with Dennis today, 49216216 will get you through. And in the meantime, Dennis, um, we're looking at food and diet and what part that plays in complementary medicine or can play. And I think it's an important part it can play, Jane. I think right at the very start we should say, however, that um, there are diets and diets. And unfortunately, there are crazy diets which hurt people. But fortunately, there are some good diets based on sound foods most of those diets being medically tried or recommended, which I have used in my practice of complementary medicine for many years and have found them useful. So the first thing I would say is that diet is a component, but not necessarily the answer to the treatment of disease, but it's an important component. And we're beginning to realise, I think we have realised over a number of years now, that uh, the lack of certain substances in the diet to start with, can be seen to be associated with some of the chronic diseases that afflict particularly Western society. Look at the way in which, for instance, now it's fairly well established that a diet devoid of roughage is very, very significantly pathologically associated with the development of large bowel disease. And again, I come back to the point that it was the medical work of people like Dennis Burkett years ago which established the association between high-fibre diet and relative freedom or better control over large bowel diseases such as diverticulitis, uh, constipation, etc., etc. And I dare to say today that there would be few medical practitioners or few naturopaths and complementary therapists that would not be extolling the virtues of a more modern uh, emphasis on foods that contain particularly soluble fibre as a means of addressing what up until this point, and perhaps even now, is still an epidemic of civilizational disease, particularly afflicting the bowel. So right from the very start, we should say to people out there that are going from one episode to another episode of things like diverticular disease, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, even constipation, that one of the most important things that they can do, that I can recommend to them, is to look at the content of what's called soluble fibre. Soluble fibre is a form of fibre that's found in, in, in many foods, but classically seen in things like psyllium and slippery elm and many other foods, which uh, when the substance goes into the gut, what it does is tend to gather into its own mass a lot of the gut contents and form uh, a better stool and promote better transit time and lessen the uh, disfiguration of the large bowel and disease possibilities. And simple as it may sound, simple as it may sound, the inclusion of soluble fibre in the diet, in my experience, has been one of the most positive recommendations, particularly for elderly people who have perhaps been raised at a time when there wasn't enough emphasis on fibre. Uh, when refined grains, for instance, were the order of the day, uh, when eating fruit was not perhaps as popular as what it is today. So just doing that, I know it sounds simple, just doing that I have found 
as, as being a major way of addressing many recurrent large bowel disorders. So there's an example, one example, of the way in which a medico, a naturopath, any therapist knowing anything about diet would recommend that little uh, food recommendation to people presenting with various forms, not all forms, but various forms of large bowel disease, particularly those that are considered to be civilizational and unique to Western society. So is it more than just the, um, the advice our parents always gave us of mm. eat your greens? Yes, I think it is because I reflect on the, uh, the food that I was raised on in, in, in Newcastle as a young man and I was privileged to have been raised in a good working class household and the food was good but reflecting on it that was the time, for instance, when vegetables were boiled to death. Yes. Boiled to death. Totally. Uh, and all the goodies were poured down the sink in the water. Um, okay, we had fruit, um, but perhaps it wasn't as emphatically emphasised as it is today in kids' diets. We uh, had a diet very much structured around white bread. And look, I'm not opposed to a bit of white bread down there, but uh, we, we were raised on that, and hence... Uh, my generation perhaps uh, is experiencing some of the problems associated with that. So things have changed a bit today in as much that most young marrieds that I see anyway coming into my practice or rooms, most of them are aware of the need to make sure the kids are being fed uh, what we would refer to as more natural foods, um, whole grain breads, plenty of fruit, and uh, playing down the role of one thing that was not played down in our era and playing down the role of sugar in the diet. Because I have said on many of my programs and in my lectures, I consider, I say this tongue-in-cheek, I consider sugar to be probably the greatest poison in the Western diet. And, and I remember reading as a, as a young, young man uh, a book, I, I can't remember the, the author's name now, but it was basically a book on civilizational disease. And the, the, the writer spoke about carbohydrate addiction and 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 see and saw uh, sugar as being the ultimate uh, expression of that, and referred to the work of Professor John Yudkin, who was a London University lecturer on nutrition. And Yudkin, way way back, wrote that book, um, Pure White and Deadly, and unfortunately, it didn't have the impact that it should have had. But now, recent writings um, on the same topic have come into much more popularity and people are aware more and more and more of the, the, the way in which sugar in everything has created huge problems, not only oral problems as far as the teeth are concerned, but the, the, the obesity epidemic, uh, the diabetic ep epidemic, all these sorts of things, in my opinion, are associated with the overemphasis of sugar and refined carbohydrates. Fortunately, we're becoming aware of it. This is something that perhaps is new today. It wasn't well appreciated in our era, I put it. This is Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And we're taking your calls and comments and questions on 49216216. Here's Leslie, who's rung in from Brankston, uh, although she may not be in Brankston at the moment. Leslie, you've got a comment for Dennis. Uh, yes, I have, thank you. Go for um, it. I, I am uh, 67 years old, and about 10 years ago, I decided that I no longer wanted to eat modified food, as in uh, low-fat, um, chemically altered food. Uh -huh. And 
So I deleted from my diet anything that said low-fat, light, you know, reduced anything. Uh-huh. Um, and I concentrated on eating um, smaller pro- the smaller quantities of more natural food. Yes. Um, now, I, I don't want you to think I eat a high-fat diet because it's very far from that. Um, I just don't eat um, altered food. Yes. And there, there was absolutely zero difference to my weight or my health mm-hmm. um, from doing that. Yes. Uh, and that was the result of blood tests. It's not just my opinion. Yes. Um, so I decided then that I would look at other things yes. in my diet. And about four or five years ago, I got rid of sugar. Yes. And my the result of doing both of those things is that my cholesterol has actually gone down. Yes. Um, it was never very high. It was in the high part of the normal range. Yes. Um, and now it's quite on normal. My blood sugar levels have stabilised. Yes. Um, and I have boundless energy. Yes. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very much anti-sugar now. And like yourself, I heard you say a little while ago that being brought up on white bread. Yes. Um, so was I. Yes. Um, and um, I think I've probably got more energy now than I had in my 20s. In fact, I know it. Well, I I would not be surprised at that, and I applaud you for um, undertaking that significant alteration in your eating habit and lifestyle. And what you have said confirms uh, my study and my my lecturing on this, that uh, of all the things... Uh, that are in the diet that are most problematical. Forget about the fat situation. I think that's been pretty well debunked. It's the sugar factor, in my opinion. And I mentioned Professor John Yudkin's book, Pure, White and Deadly. But in recent times, um, David Gillespie has written a book entitled Sweet Poison. Now, that is an incredible work, in my opinion, and should be read by every listener out there who might be a little bit sceptical about this emphasis on deleting sugar. It conclusively, in my opinion, demonstrates that when people become conscious of the way in which this substance is overemphasized in our diet and start to control its intake, they will experience similar experiences to that which you have experienced and might I just say that which I have experienced also. I applaud you for it. Well done, and thanks for that comment, Leslie. Dave on the line now from Tanambit, and of course you can get your question and comment through to Dennis on four nine two one six two one six. Hello, Dave. Hello. Hello, Dave. Oh yes. Um, is there any cure for tinnitus? Look, tinnitus is a difficult condition, and anyone that plays down um, the the condition, in my opinion, you need to be a little bit cautious about. But having yes. s- having said that, having said that. Um, There are two approaches which I still feel have credibility and as as, as recent uh, as a couple of weeks ago I had a a patient or a client who had taken some of my advice and who was experiencing some reduction at least in the experience of their tinnitus. First thing that I would recommend, the first thing I would say is have you had your condition investigated? No, no. Okay, you've mentioned it to your GP? Yes, I did, but okay. uh, they weren't very... Okay. Uh... Well, what I, what I would suggest you do is take on board these two recommendations. Have you got a pencil and paper there? Yeah. The first thing is you must give try or give a try to the modern European herbal drug called ginkgo biloba, 
G-I-N-K-G-O, Ginkgo Biloba, B-I-L-O-B-A. Now, if you are fluent with the computer, you can Google up Ginkgo Biloba and you will find that one of its indications is for tinnitus. Um, The thing with Ginkgo, even though it's recommended for tinnitus, uh, with no guarantees for a cure, but recommended as a trial, the literature that I've read on it, on Ginkgo itself as a herb, indicates that it needs to be used over a considerable period of time in order to test the possibility of its benefit. So I would say that if you're going to use ginkgo, be prepared to work with it over quite a number of months before you're able to make an assessment. In the literature, sometimes anything up to six to nine months before a conclusive interpretation is given. But let me say quite quickly here, tinnitus is an over-the-counter sorry, ginkgo is an over the counter medication um, it's reasonably priced. Uh, mm-hmm. What you should do is, is perhaps go to your pharmacist and yeah. ask for a standardised preparation of ginkgo and take yeah. it within the recommended range and be, okay. pre- be prepared to work with it over a period of time. It does not need a script. The only thing okay. about the ginkgo that you might need to factor in is that there is in the literature a suggestion that ginkgo might, we say might, interact with blood-thinning medication um, and if you are on that, you'd have to run that past your pharmacist. But if you're not on blood thinning medication, I would have no problem in recommending a trial yeah. on the ginkgo. The second thing is there are three herbs, European and American herbs, called up in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, which I have said on this program before is the Bible of modern herbal medicine practice. Now, those three herbs are not easily procured, and they would require you to have them made up by a compounding pharmacist who has a herbal dispensary or a herbal medicine practitioner. But the three herbs in combination called up in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia for tinnitus are as follows. Golden seal, ground ivy, golden seal, ground ivy, and the American herb, ground ivy, and the American herb, black cohosh. Black cohosh. Cohosh, C-O-H-O-S-H. Try your ginkgo first. Have that liquid compound formulation as a fallback position if after a number of months you're not getting anywhere with it, Dave. I I, I am on blood thinning tablets. Well, if you're on, which one are you on? Uh, Christian Mercatus, Pantroposal, Tropical. If if you're on any blood thinning medication, you should run the, the recommendation of ginkgo past your GP or your pharmacist, before you start taking it. Health Naturally. For our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre, and we're very interested in your calls and questions, and we'll lead off now with David from Toronto. Hello, David. Yeah, good afternoon. Hi, Dennis. Hello, David. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Good, My good. question regards eye floaters. Mm-hmm. Um, been okay with them up until the last few months where I was diagnosed with a, uh, a retinal tear as opposed to a retinal detachment. Yes. And uh, that's diagnosed from the Sydney Eye Hospital now. Good. Since then, I have experienced the floaters caused by that tear. And I'm just mm. wondering if there's anything that um, I might be able to do to maybe not get rid of, but alleviate. I mean, the specialist said they may fade over time. Yes. Um, but I have had prior to that uh, um, another issue with my eye that I am taking bilberry from your practice. Okay, so you're on bilberry, uh, are you? Yes, I am. Okay. And how long have you been on bilberry for, David? Uh, look, it's probably been oh, six months. 
That's good. That's good. In fact, you you would know that um, I'm a great fan of the bilberry. Yes, I yes, s- I did talk to you about it uh, at your the, practice. I, yeah. s- I see the bilberries being probably one of the most broad-spectrum nutritional uh, substances for, for, for ocular conditions, particularly things like um, symptoms of macular degeneration, uh, yes. diabetic retinopathy, uh, those sorts of things, in my opinion, necessarily, it's an opinion, necessarily require the bilberry. I'm not yes. sure how effective... Uh, bilberry is likely to be in this, although I would encourage you to, con- to continue using it. But yes. what, what I do note, and admittedly this is mainly associated with an, a number of my patients who uh, use bioflavonoids in conjunction with their medication for glaucoma, that seemingly, seemingly, the use of bioflavonoids is just as important in some ocular conditions as, say, the bilberry. Now, bioflavonoids, let me emphasise to listeners, commonly occur in food, so they're not a drug, they're they're not a competing medication, but I'm a great fan of bioflavonoids. I know them inside out and upside down, so to speak. uh, They're usually accompanied with vitamin C. I would suggest as perhaps promoting improved healing and particularly working with the bilberry go to your health food store or wherever and get a broad-spectrum bioflavonoid right. that's got vitamin C with it. I would, right. I would give that a go and I'd be interested in listening or hearing from you in a couple of months to get yes. feedback on this. Now, let me emphasise, this is in no way at all um, giving ophthalmological advice or medical treatment. No, no, I, all, all I'm, I can talk to my ophthalmologist that's, about that that's as well. Correct. And I think you yes, would probably yes. be on side with those. Um, yes, yes. So that's what I would recommend. Augment uh, your bilberry uh, with some bioflavonoids. Yes. See how that goes. The, the, the other thing about it is bioflavonoids and vitamin C have remarkable benefits also vascularly, uh, immunologically. They're good things to be on at the best of times. And what about food group-wise, Dennis, if it's not, a, not a, like a tablet? Uh, yeah, or- look, um, bioflavonoids, a lot, you could get them in a lot of um, fruits. A lot of orange juice will, will bring it. But the sort of level that you need, it's probably better to get a supplement. There is right. very, very cheap, uh, uh, David, to get uh, bioflavonoidal right. supplements. Yes. And that I, won't I, affect anything previous. Like I've got that, uh, the previous condition, the, um, the vein occlusion, that won't affect that no, at all? No, no, I, no okay. I, I don't all think right. so. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but again, um, if you've got any concerns or reservations, run it past your medical people. I'll do and, that, yes. But the substances I've mentioned are exceedingly safe, David. Sounds good. Good luck with that. Now, Deborah has rung in from Caves Beach. And, Deborah, you've got a question for Dennis. Yes, I do. Hello, Deborah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Uh, just lately, I've been uh, getting into organic food. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just wondering, though, do you know whether Australia grows genetically modified fresh fruits and vegetables or wheat, rice, things like that? Deborah, you've caught me. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I myself am a fan of, um, of what we might refer to as organically grown food, and wherever possible I source that. But yep. I'm not aware of the genetic modification situation. There would be others more informed about right. that in particular lobbies. Um, Organisations like the Organic Growers Association right. would be better off uh, contacting... Uh, than someone like myself, they would have an up-to-date information on that, I suspect. But what what also you should do is contact 
the uh, State Department of Agriculture. Oh, right. And uh, at the state level anyway, uh, yeah. they, I suspect, would have some information that would be able to satisfy your query as mm-hmm. to whether and where genetically modified foods are being grown in the state of New South Wales. Right. So the organic growers is a good start. Google them up. Secondarily, contact your D- Department of Agriculture um, and um, play it at that level. Yeah. I have Googled um, to try and get some information, but, yeah, it's really hard to find. Well, it's, pretty co- it's a pretty controversial topic, as you would agree. And it's always good to go to know where to go to ask <laughs> the question, isn't it, Dennis? <laughs> Very much so. Good question. And I think from time to time some of these organisations put out little brochures and, or little booklets yes. to uh, indicate yeah. I've always the found situation. the Department of Ag to be very, very helpful, and I'm sure they'd have an information officer there that could, could help uh, Deborah get that information. 49216216 is the number for your comments, queries and questions. Can you have both queries and questions? Paul from Williamtown, hello to you. Hello, how are you? Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Hello, Doc. Um, I've spoken to you before. Uh-huh. Um, it was, I, think you, I think you might have actually cut me off a little bit. I think we were running short of time. All right. Yep. But, but my question is, is in regards to uh, why doctors don't give you... Um, minerals and, and that sort of thing that are proven to be very, very beneficial for sickness and disease, uh, why don't they give you them instead of the medications that they give everybody that doesn't really do them much good at all? Well, the first thing I'd say there, Paul, is that there are quite a, a number of uh, general practitioners that I know that do uh, prescribe uh, supplements and there are a group of medical practitioners that practice what's called integrated medicine and some of them would be uh, recommending some of the very things that I recommend. So I think we have to be a little bit cautious there that we don't uh, generalise too much. In, in my experience, in my experience, general practitioners are increasingly, increasingly uh, recommending lifestyle changes, supplementation where appropriate. Uh, so uh, I'm not as negative about that as you. What I would say is this, what I would say is this, our general practitioners, which are our prime contact therapists, are so damn busy dealing with the amount of consultations they have to see that in order to be able to cover some of the ideal things that should be covered, it will be just impossible. So I think the workload of many general practitioners is such that despite what they would like to do, i.e. spend time uh, counselling, recommending, doing this and that, in my opinion, they're working their bum off and haven't got the time to do this. Um, I take on board what you're saying. Let me emphasise again, many of the GPs, many of whom practice increasingly integrated medicine, uh, will be and are, I know some of them in Newcastle now, that are prescribing and recommending the minerals and herbs that I recommend. So your point is valid, and no one, Paul, has done more over my over 30-odd years to promote to promote what I would call holistic medicine and the need to look at diet, lifestyle, supplementation than myself. Um, so I take your point. And that fits in very well with our topic today, okay. looking at, um, well, I suppose there are minerals in foods too, Absolutely. aren't there? And look, uh, I think this is an important point. This is an important point. We must not get into the mindset which uh, says or promotes the idea that you have to be taking multiple supplements in order to maintain good health. Um, We must go back to the Greek maxim that food is your best medicine 
And if our diet is broadly based and is based particularly on natural foods and is balanced, um, in many ways there's not a great deal of need to be spending a lot of money on supplements. Having said that, there are certain conditions, and particularly as we get older, where supplementation is important. Health naturally and still time perhaps for another quick call. But at the moment we're, oh, that's 49216216. Joanne has rung in from Charlestown. Your topic is Crohn's disease, Joanne. Yes, that's Hello, right. Hello, How are you, oh, Joanne? Oh, hi, Dennis. I'm good. That's good, good. Um, I have a friend, though, who has mm. Crohn's disease. Yes, nasty and disease. Yes, it's not mm. very good and she's mm. only quite young. Yes. Um, she's on the drug called Humira, yes. which she has yeah. to inject. Yeah. Yes. Um, been hearing a lot lately about turmeric okay. and the inflammation, mm-hmm. how it reduces inflammation. And okay. we were just wondering what your idea was okay. about that okay. on the effect of Crohn's. Right. My comment on Crohn's to the general listening audience is that Crohn's is what's called an inflammatory bowel disease. It shares some similarities with, uh, with what's called ulcerative colitis. And for listeners, it can be a nasty, debilitating disease that perhaps in previous generations, prior to the modern management, was a very, very serious disease indeed. It's characterised by infla- inflammation of the bowel wall. Uh, also associated with it can be bleeding, uh, mucus discharge, a very, very serious condition for which modern drug therapy has some significant, probably life-saving approaches. But having said that, having said that, I believe that inflammatory bowel disease, whether it be ulcerative colitis or uh, Crohn's, uh, can be usefully, in some cases, complemented by natural substances which have a very logical application. Now, you've mentioned curcumin. Uh, Curcumin is the extract from turmeric. And in a lot of the literature, particularly the modern literature, um, you will find that the curcumin in turmeric is considered to have significant anti-inflammatory actions. And in a lot of the books that I've read, particularly in relationship to the large bowel, it has a peculiar association and potential anti-inflammatory role to play in subduing inflammatory phenomena there. That's, so I would, be, um, I would be suggesting that it would be something... To, to look at, and it would be something to discuss, certainly with the gastroenterologist, as perhaps being a useful and non-conflicting medication, because let me re- remind you and listeners that curcumin is from turmeric, which is a food and a herb. It's a natural substance um, and should not interact with some of the modern medications, autoimmune uh, medications that are prescribed medically. So that's principle number one. But let me be quick to say to, to people out there that... Um, that uh, suffer from large bowel disease, two approaches need to be considered, uh, which I found useful. In many, many years I've recommended the role of uh, slippery elm taken regularly as one of the most protective, safe, mollifying uh, and complementary substances to use in large bowel conditions where usually that manifests itself in a soothing of the bowel wall, uh, better uh, stool characteristics. And the other thing that I've also always emphasised in both in my lectures and practice is the role of a group of herbs known as astringents. Now, astringents have a local hemostatic effect on the bowel wall, and one of those in particular, a bilberry extract, has been the backbone 
of my treatment, particularly where the bowel is weeping and bleeding, even where uh, medical treatment is being used. So there are three approaches that a professional medical herbalist, naturopath or integrated medical practitioner might use. Uh, support uh, anti-inflammatory medication with, say, something like curcumin, use some slippery elm for its modifying effect on the bowel wall and consider bilberry extract as being a useful hemostatic agent on the bowel wall. Okay, that sounds good. So hemostatic, what, what does that Well, mean? what that tends to do is lessen bleeding. Now, let, okay. me, emph- yep. let me emphasise, let me emphasise and emphasise. Large bowel disease is a nasty and necessarily um, needs to be treated medically obviously by a gastroenterologist and with a good supportive GP. What I have suggested there is that the, this approach over my 30 years has helped many patients, all of them of whom have been on major medication, have in most cases had a better outcome. But anything okay. like this should not be self-initiated. It should be discussed with your prime medical managers. Okay, there's a course of action. Thank you. For your okay. call, Joanne. That, that's it, or have you got another question with that? No, that's all. Thanks very much. Great. Thank Thanks for your call. And we're moving to John now from Mark's Point. Hello. Hi. Hello, John. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Uh, I'm hanging up, of course, with that. <laughs> um, look, I'm starting to get a, bit, uh, uh, a slight trouble going to the toilet okay. in the mornings. Okay. Now, I've been taking chilli, and it's helped a bit. Chilli? Yeah, yeah, that's, that'll move anything, won't it? <laughs> yeah, I've only taken a small bit. <laughs> okay, but I was wondering when you were talking about cereal, mm-hmm. uh, what would be the best cereal okay. with with fiber for me to buy? Okay, John, the first thing I would say is this: if you have noticed any alteration in your bowel function, um, it should be run past your GP because even uh, a mild alteration in bowel function can say something. So I say to you and all listeners out there, um, na- make note of how, you, how your bowel functions. And if there is any um, significant alterations in its functioning, discuss it with your GP. But having said that, if yours is just a simple case of your bowel becoming a little bit sluggish... Well, I'm, I'm 79. Yes, so. well, you're in the same age bracket as I am. Yeah. Um, what I suggest you do is take on board two very simple things... And I'd be most surprised if they didn't work and they are very safe, economical and in, in, many, in many cases would not conflict with your medication. Principle number one, this might sound left field, fall in love with olive oil. Now, I'm not, talk- right. I'm not talking about castor oil. No. I'm, talk- I'm talking about extra virgin olive oil from the supermarket. Yeah, what I cook with. Yeah, but ideally what you need to do is get a little medicine glass and, yeah. and what's called the laxative dose ranges from, say, 20 to 60 mils. Yeah, I've got a medicine. Okay. Well, I would suggest, this is the, the, the first recommendation I give to all my patients who present with this, is start to deliberately take at least 20 mils of extra virgin olive oil daily, mils, principle yeah. number one. The second thing is go and get hold of some psyllium, P-S-Y-L-L-I-U-M, psyllium, P-S-Y-L-L-I-U-M. Now, it is an ideal form of soluble fibre. Now, right. you can get a commercial product called Metamucil, yeah. which, from, which is from your supermarket. Um, it is based on psyllium, a great product also. If you were to do those two things, you would be doing one of the, in my opinion, you would be doing some very, very healthy things oh, 
to promote. But let me just emphasise, I applaud you for using a little bit of chilli. I'm a great fan of chilli, and I'll have a contest with you one day to see how much you can eat as opposed to me. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, uh, the uh, woman up the road gave me two chilli bushes that are not hot. Okay. They're coloured bushes. Yeah. And I was wondering, they are chillies, and when you open them up, they have the seeds and everything yeah. in them. Well, I was you... just wondering, are they as good as the hot ones? Well, chillies are graduated. You could get very mild chillies right up to very hot chillies. Certainly don't start off with something very, very hot. Otherwise, uh, you'll know what what to expect. But... Try to take something with a little bit of pungency in it, a little bit of pungency. So the more pungency, the more effect, you reckon, Dennis? Very much so. Okay. I can talk about my first experience, but I won't. (laughs) And that's Health Naturally for today. Thanks very much, Dennis. Thank you, Jane. And you can catch us on podcast through 2NURFM.com, also available from the iTunes store.